With your permission, I would like to do the little intro, and then I'll introduce you. Okay. My name is Andrew Crusoe, and this is Ascendant. Aloha, and welcome to Ascendant. This is episode one. This is a crazy personal growth challenge to myself, partly, and also an excuse to talk to people who have changed my life in big ways or small ways. So thank you for attracting this podcast into your reality. I cannot promise that all of my questions will always be eloquent or come at the right time, but I can say that my intention, I should say, is always for the highest good. Ascendant is a series of conversations of the one talking to the one, of us being mirrors to each other, of explorations into the strange wonderfulness of life, the nature of reality, and the embracement that the true nature is abundance. That is the true nature of the universe. So this is the first episode. It's going to be a little, it's going to have some rough edges, but let's get flowing. Today, I am so thankful and so excited to have Chandra Fulton on the show, my first guest, an auntie of mine. We'll get to um, Hanai family in Hawaii. And uh, Chandra, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. (laughs) I'm so grateful and honored that you have asked me to be here with you today. Well, I have to trust my intuition about these things, you know, and we know each other in person, you know, we've hung out a lot, and um, you and and uh, are part of a very, very small group of people who feel like, frankly, and I've told you this, who feel like biological family to me on these islands, where I don't have any biological family in the Hawaiian Islands. So that means a lot, you know, and, uh, you know, for those listening, we originally met at, uh, at a vegan potluck group, which was really fantastic. So (laughs) (laughs) all those, all those, uh, several years ago, (laughs) but one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, Chandra, is our conversation on the phone, I think it was like two weeks ago. And I realized that we both... Um, we'd never talked about it much before. We were both really passionate about how our thoughts create our reality and like, you know, intention manifestation stuff. And we got to talking about Bob Proctor and you just like really inspired me. And I was like, you know, this really feels like it's an alignment and you have your own incredible journey in your life. You shared some stories with me that I've been lucky to hear. Um, do you want to share sort of, um, your, abundance journey a bit with us and and, because that's the main theme for this show it might change podcast change you come for the personality you you come for the top right you come for the topic you stay for the personality it's going to be evolving (laughs) right right oh good morning i gotta drink more tea so as i was thinking about it you know when i was thinking about well what would i share on this podcast and I thought about where did, where did it, my, you know, where did this really begin? Mm-hmm. And in, in reality, it actually began when I was in the womb of my mother. Mm. Um, she talked about being, not having enough to eat, being hungry. Um, and my father, uh, who wouldn't go get a job. And was reading books on how to become a millionaire. (laughs) 
And, you know, finally he said he had a job and he would take the car all day for three weeks. And he kept making up excuses about why he wasn't getting paid. Oh, wow. And this was on Big Island, right? Yeah. Big Island, Hawaii. Yes. And uh, so basically after three weeks, he had to admit he never did have a job. Hmm. And he was just smoking pot with his friends all day. Oh. So here my mom was, you know, pregnant and barely had food to eat. And so I know that, you know, as of five months old, we can hear in the womb. Yeah. So I'm sure I was already picking up the poverty mindset Mm. from that point. And then... My childhood was in, um, you know, being on welfare Mm. and not having, you know, just being very minimal. And um, we... I was going to say, it's crazy to me to think about that now because, you know, meeting you now, you have created so much abundance, you know, like you're finishing this house and... And, you know, you're, you own your own business. Like, it, yeah. that's what's so amazing, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, people, right. obviously there are, our, our listeners haven't met you in person, but like, it, guys, it's, it's incredible. And I use guys as a unisex word. It's incredible how you would not guess that meeting you. You've really mm. experienced so much growth in this area. Um, sorry, I interrupted you a bit. Go on. No, it's okay. So I wasn't actually born on the big island. And uh, my sister, who's three years older, her dad kidnapped her and took her to the mainland. And so my mom had to get on a plane, pregnant, and basically, I think, left my dad because that wasn't um, working out. Yeah. And So your sister had a different father? Yeah. Okay. So she had to go find my sister. And then I, so I ended up being born in California. Oh, hey, me too. And um, so we came back when I was like three months old. And then at some point, my um, mom and dad got back together when I was about two and a half. And they went to India together took us, me and my sister. And, um, was your mom or dad, um, was their family from India? Can you remind me? No, no, they were just really following the Hare Krishna, um, lifestyle. So to them, like India was like a big part of that, just going to be there. And uh, so we ended up there for several months. And anyway, how old were you? I was two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Do you have memories of this time, or uh, I mean, that's pretty young. But... Yeah, I the, the the things I remember is it was very um, it was very dirty. 
a lot of bugs. I remember bugs coming up in the shower drain. Yeah. And I remember how excited we were when we finally got to stay somewhere that had a flushing toilet. And on the train, so what had happened was my dad actually ended up leaving us in India and taking our tickets. Wow. And because a palm reader on a train told my mom she was going to have a baby with another man. And he was present during that? No, she told him. Ah, okay. Afterwards. <laughs> so it sounded like he, he had a reaction to this information. And he's like, I got to leave this family? <laughs> I know. It, it's just bizarre, <laughs> right? I, so I'm just like, wow. So we were in stuck in India for a bit. Wow. And um, can I ask what part? Just, uh, you know, I don't know that. I'd have to ask my mom to get sure. more clarity on that. Yeah. So he just leaves India, leaves you and your mom. It's just you two, right? Yes, me and my sister. Oh my God. Oh, and your sister. Okay. So your mom has two kids she's taking care of alone now. Yes. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> I know. I can't even imagine. It's just like a new level of irresponsibility. <laughs> Did your mom have anybody else she knew? Could anybody else help her in India, if I can ask? No. Wow. No, she was just on her own. So I think my her aunt must have bailed her out at that point, you know, mm. after some months of being there. <laughs> how, long, but, how many months? I don't know exactly. I think we were there a couple of months, though. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, after that, we ended up back in Hawaii. And then I was back and forth, like, from Hawaii to mainland till I was, like, seven. Mm-hmm. At five years old, I lived across from the boardwalk and in Santa Cruz. Oh, and that's a cool spot. Yeah, so there was like these apartment buildings, and so we looked right over at the um, boardwalk. We just could walk across the street and the famous Santa Cruz Beach boardwalk, right there, and all the <laughs> yeah, all the commercials. Oh wow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they got a pretty fun roller coaster over there, as I recall. Yes. And wow. So, and how many years were you there? I don't think I was there that long. Like months, you back and forth. probably. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And, but the memory I have of that place is like my mom having us go and collect all the cans from the trash, you know, so that we could have extra money because she was on welfare. Yeah. And yeah, at six years old, I was in um, LA and seven. Six and seven, I was in West Virginia in the um, Gurukula, which mm-hmm. is the Krishna school. Mm-hmm. They separate the girls and the boys into, and you basically live, you know, there and go to the temple. Uh-huh. And so it's a very austere lifestyle, like mm-hmm. you don't have any belongings really. <laughs> Wow. Or anything. So, uh, you know, it yeah. obviously makes one wonder how that 
impacts upon a child, you know, of such, you know, so young and you're moving around a lot. That sounds, that sounds pretty tough. I mean, you, it was probably tough to maintain consistent friendships if you were moving so much. I can relate. I can relate to that. Yeah. I didn't really get to have keep friends and I always showed up in the middle of a school year. Oh. And so it was just, and then I'd be gone. So <laughs> it was that's like, really tough. Yeah. So I, I didn't get to maintain friendships and I actually, yeah, was in the principal's office a lot cause I was a troubled child. <laughs> yeah, well, Hey, I, I think, uh, I think I would have been as well in that situation. I mean, that seems very, you know, I'm reading a book right now called Polysecure, which is far beyond the scope of this conversation right now, but it talks about how attachment theory, you know, is, is, is really modeled from a very, very young age, like, you know, one, two, three, four, massive impact on the psychology, how consistent care was given to the child, how consistently, and their coping mechanisms, if it wasn't consistent, fascinating. Mm, okay. Yeah. So tell me more about that another time. Even Attached by Amir Levine, which there's going to be an interview later on that I talk about that. Attached is amazing. So did you have you... Yeah, I'm sure you've reflected a lot on that time, Chandra. And do you feel yeah. was that something you had to take time to to heal, or that's definitely that whole process of being in that life of um, we weren't allowed to, we didn't have time with our mom uh, except like visitation time. Wow, we'd see our mom at the temple, but we weren't allowed to go up to her. And who was taking care of you? Um, there was like a lady that, and then with all these girls that lived together. Oh, okay. And so we had a very, a different lifestyle. Yeah, it sounds like a, <laughs> yeah. a microcosm inside of the <laughs> macrocosm. So, so how long were you there? This was in West Virginia? Yeah. Okay. And so we were there for, I think these are all just like, you know, five, six month periods, you know, in my life. And I'm like gone. I'm off to another adventure. Right. And so. But they're preserved like snapshots, you know. (laughs) Yeah. They made big impacts in my life and in how I chose to live my life from that point forward like as mm-hmm. as an adult now when i raised my children those things played a big impact on how i chose to do things differently mm-hmm. so another thing like when i was uh on maui going to school mm-hmm. it was me and my sister and um, I, my mom, you know, would just buy us clothes from the thrift store mm-hmm. and I always got my sister's hand-me-down clothes the next year. Mm-hmm. So I happened to be there at this school for the next school year and the kids all were getting new clothes and mm-hmm. here I was with my hand-me-down clothes and 
the kids were really mean. And they would be like, didn't your sister wear that last year? Ah, oh, man. <laughs> and it was so embarrassing for me, you know, but yeah. I didn't. Uh, that was, yeah, so I I basically had a poverty mindset mm -hmm. that was instilled all the way from birth basically and you probably weren't even fully aware of it until later on too that that was yeah. even the, there was even a label for that like what was the process if i may what woke you up what helped wake you up to awareness of the difference the contrast right yeah so well i want to just share like like a little bit more sure. about where I got to and, and then what, at what point I actually um, came to that realization. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> okay. So I ended up leaving home when I was 12. Whoa. And, yeah. I'm pretty sure I would have died in about four hours if I left home when I was 12. <laughs> I would have, I would have, <laughs> I would have been like kidnapped by a man in a white van. It would have been, it would have been bad. <laughs> yeah. So man. I kind of was out there, you know. Um, I ended up staying with a couple of different families here and there, and um, and they were all low income families. Yeah. So it was just more of you know, seeing people mm. struggle and not having barely enough. Same mindset. Yeah. And when I was 13, I moved to Maui um, with a boyfriend. Mm. And I wow. got my first job uh, at a farmer's market. 13. And I was making pretty good money. And actually, I was paying all my bills and... And so you were a functional adult at 13, like f fiscally. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. But one could also argue you didn't really get to have, you, your childhood was like cut in half. Did that ever occur to you? I mean, I mean, at the time or probably like later, like that, that's kind of sucks. Mm, definitely later. Uh, yeah. yeah. I didn't, at the time I was just doing what I had to do to survive. And yeah. I didn't think about, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I worked at the farmer's market for probably a year and a half or more. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up getting a job at a, a deli. Mm -hmm. And I also got a job at a um, chart house restaurant as a hostess. Mm -hmm. So I was working two jobs mm -hmm. and, but, you know, I didn't end up saving money and really, I didn't have that instilled in me. Like mm -hmm. no one taught me those life skills. Mm -hmm. And what were your beliefs around money? If I can ask at that time that, that the people who had a lot of it were, you know, unusual or maybe, maybe deceitful or what was your relationship to even abundance at that time? Just thinking back now. 
Was it, were you, did you think um, about it much or was it mostly like, oh, money is a tool I can use to sort of, you know, have these certain it things? It was about or, survival. Yeah. It was really like, I thought, okay, yeah, I just work and I pay the bills and have some money to do a couple of things that I want to do, maybe buy a couple of things, but it was always just to survive. I think a lot of people who grew up in similar circumstances will relate to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what started to change? I mean, what were your teenage years like? Very big formative years. Did that, how did that mm. evolve? You know, how did you end up, you know, cause you know, we're always trying to bridge the gap in some ways. Right. And I'm just thinking about, you know, and you've, sh- you've shared some things about the, that time with me, but you know, what a massive difference, what a massive uh, road behind you, really, from that to now, having your own business on Big Island, it's successful, you get to set your own hours, basically, um, you know, you're building a house right now. So at that time, I was on Maui. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then I ended up getting at the age of 16, I ended up getting pregnant. Yeah. And so I ended up having my daughter at 17 mm-hmm. and decided that I was going to stay home with her. And my, um, I got married at 18 to her dad mm-hmm. and he was working, but then he couldn't really, the, the job couldn't cover all of our expenses of living on Maui. Hmm. And we couldn't qualify for any assistance. Really? Because he made $50 too much. Wow. So I couldn't, we, we were hungry. You know, it's like we paid all our bills, gas and everything for the car. Hmm. And didn't have enough money to buy food. And we didn't qualify. So we moved back to the big island and immediately qualified for assistance. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then it put us on to the welfare system again, and mm-hmm. there we were with that. And so eventually I ended up doing a caregiving job and getting off of a little bit of assistance, not as being as dependent on assistance Mm -hmm. because really I knew my ultimate goal was not to be Mm -hmm. having to report everything to the government. I've, I've been there. Um, can we also be clear that there's no shame? I don't believe there's any shame for someone getting some government assistance. Everyone's situation is different. Oh, not at all. Yeah. I just feel like we should say that everyone's situation is different and everybody has a different, you know, um, you know, yeah. cap- capability, Ev- mental state, trauma. There's a lot that goes into that. Of course. But I also know that the system doesn't help people very well to get off of the system. Yeah. So it didn't allow for you to make money and stay on the system and they help you to eventually get off the system. It was always like, well, once you make fifty dollars too much, you're yeah. cut off for this month, and then you have to wait till you no longer you're 
you're back to poverty again and then yeah. you can reapply. It's kind of binary. <laughs> I, I remember that time I was on that and it's, it's something like, it's kind of high for Hawaii. I think it's like 1100 a month uh, for a single person. With kids, it's higher, obviously. But it does feel pretty mm-hmm. binary, doesn't it? Yeah, and I know things are like shifting a little bit now these days, but back then it was really, yeah, a lot worse in my opinion. And I just felt like they should have like said, okay, well, you made $50 too much, then we're just going to give you $50 less than what you could have been getting. Yeah, I heard they kind of reduce it now. Now it's like a, I heard it's sort of like a tiered thing. Yeah, now. I sure hope it's gets better now these days. But you knew you didn't want to, you, you sound like you, I mean, at that time you didn't really, you know, you, you had a goal to get off of welfare uh, or mostly off of welfare by when you were even raising your kid. Yeah, that was my ultimate goal was to yeah. not have to rely on them. and. So as time went on and I ended up being a single parent for a while Mm -hmm. and I ended up in, after doing caregiving, I ended up starting a job with this drafting company and that's when I ended up doing permit routing for the people's building permits. Mm -hmm. And that led me to be able to start my own business, which has been 22 years now that I've been wow. doing that. Um, wow. So it sounds like this was all building up to you having a breakthrough of some kind, which things in life often do. Um, I know we talked once about Bob Proctor how old were you were you when you found out about him or even about The Secret, which, frankly, I kind of have mixed feelings about because usually people get really overly focused on the material side of The Secret, which it's a lot more to it than that. You know, how long after having your kid were you exposed to Mr. Proctor and uh, that whole world? It's, it's a whole world. Yeah, I I didn't really know much about The Secret at that point, and I really hadn't even heard too much about anything about Bob Proctor. And I don't know how it just kind of came through my email to that this free webinar. And I decided to check it out. And so at one point in this webinar, and I was about 29 at that point, maybe 30. Okay, so your kid's yeah. about nine, something like that? No, 10 or 11? Yeah, so at that point, yeah, yeah, she was, and I had a son. I had two children at that point. That's right. Yeah, so basically, I he was talking about this money mantra, that he used and he carried around in his pocket. He wrote it down on a piece of paper and he kept it in his pocket. Yeah. And he said it all throughout the days and he said it was important that when you say it, that you get excited about it. And so I decided to give it a try and the mantra. 
Yeah, share the mantra with us. <laughs> okay. So it's, I'm so happy and grateful now that money comes easily through multiple sources in increasing quantities on a continual basis. Through multiple sources and in increasing quantities on a continual basis. I am so happy. Yeah, pretty much wraps it up. <laughs> and it's, Can I get um, an the, amen? The, Can I get a... The important, <laughs> the important part about this is to be grateful. Okay, so when you get... Right. You're really grateful about this money that's going to come to you through multiple sources and increasing quantities on a continual basis and get excited about it. And so I did. I actually, for the first time in my life, actually got in touch with that feeling of excitement mm. along with using the mantra. Had you never had like excitement around money before, like in general? It was just, was it, what, what, what was your, because mm. I'm interested in the emotional journey there of like, what, what did it mean to you before? You said it meant as a means to an end is what I was hearing, right? A way to survive. And then yeah. you, your relationship with money and indeed with abundance changed at that point. Yeah. So I really just before I had heard previously that, you know, when you're trying to manifest something, you need to get excited about it. You need to visualize it. You need to, you know, all of these things. And so every time I was ever trying to manifest anything into my life, it was like I could think about it, but I never got the feeling, the excitement right. behind it. And so this time I actually conjured up that excitement mm. around it. Mm. And I would, was singing it all day through traffic. <laughs> yeah. I think you told me a story. I caught, you? <laughs> you know, and didn't you, didn't you kind of weird somebody out about singing it <laughs> or a couple people? people were looking, well, people, probably were looking weirdly at me in traffic. I love it. You know, <laughs> but I didn't care. And uh, about, it took about a week and a half. And I swear, I had so much work. I could not even deal with it. People yeah. were calling me like crazy. Things were just like... <laughs> showing up wow like you would believe and was it mostly permit work it was around that drafting company it was around work yeah like i ended up getting so much work that i just barely could keep up with it wow and it was good stuff like opportunities that you know like and also at that point i actually also met this engineer and uh he um led me into a whole nother um added work that was at a high pay that oh, wow. i never like you know received that kind of money before hourly and uh can i ask what kind of work that was was it was that still around like the it was around soils um, testing and oh, okay. bank stabilizing. So I I ended up 
like overseeing the projects for him. And then eventually he asked me to be business partners with him. And for a few years, we were, we were in business doing soil testing and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Was that for the farmers on Big Island just to see what was safe to grow? Or I'm kind of curious about that. No, it was for build building Permitting. structural. Okay. Yeah, it's it had to do with structural stuff. Like for is it safe to you know what do you need to be able to build on this lot and stuff like that, and also for stabilizing, finding out about like bank stabilizing and stuff. We ended up doing several projects where um, back in 2008, a bunch of people lost big chunks of off of their property, you know off the cliffs where yeah. it chunked right off. Yeah. <laughs> just just so in case people don't know, there are parts, um, was this like an HPP, which is a Hawaiian paradise park, second largest housing development in the United States. It just, it's a sheer cliff. Like the lava rock will just fall into the ocean over there. <laughs> and a, a lot yeah. of the Eastern coast of, of big Island. Yeah. Yeah. This was more like towards Hamakua side, going Hamakua where it's more soily, Right. So it's not as held with as much rock. Like HPP at least has more rock holding right. the bank there. Now, Hamakua, yeah. just a few minute drive north of Hilo on Big Island. So in in there are probably places where you were surveying that you know only had like an inch of soil. <laughs> For people who aren't super familiar, like Big Island, there's spots that don't have any <laughs> soil because it's so the rock has just come out of the volcano. <laughs> So not not only are you doing a job that you're enjoying, but you're on a really unique piece of, you know, land. The whole, the whole island is so unique and dynamic. I just wanted to mention that for, so people can have a more clear picture. Yeah. Every place, every job site we went to was different for sure. Hmm. Sometimes we'd go 20, 30 feet before we would hit rock. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of soil. For Big Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're using this mantra and things are happening. Like your mindset, your mindset is shifting. Mm-hmm. And did you start like doing other programs by Bob? Did you, how did that grow from there? Was it mostly you started playing around with it and then you delved back into your work life? But yeah, what, where did it go from there? Well, I believe it changed my life. Yeah. I mean, it because after that, it's like it clicked for me. And then I really just knew that I had this ability uh, to manifest things into my life. Mm. And, you know, if I got that excitement and I had the gratitude around it. Mm. And so... I actually wanted to test this out. So I ended up trying to ask friends, you know, to see, cause I'm thinking, well, is it just me that this happened to, or is this really going to like, can this really happen with just anybody? And so I started just, you know, asking my different friends if they would try it. Yeah. And only two of my friend, well, yeah, two of them, I would say, really did it. Mm-hmm. The other ones, they tried it for a couple of days and they got, yeah, that didn't work. But it takes 
a good week or two, you know, to really like keep at it yeah. and get excited and like trust that it it's possible for things to shift. I was reading it for a while, but I should really write the whole thing down. Can you, can you say it one more time for our live studio audience? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm so happy and grateful now that money comes easily through multiple sources in increasing quantities on a continual basis. That's beautiful. And why we could, you could have a whole discussion about the why behind that and how, and how when we attract abundance to us, not only does it, it obviously gives us more freedom, but also if you look at it from a social level, we can have a bigger impact. Yes. From an, from a, from a social ripple level, it's not just about us. We could talk about that as well, but um, no, I think like for me, it's not about like oh yeah, I want to get a bunch of money so I can just have everything I want. It it's kind of like um, the more money that I have, the more that I can help others. And I think when people think oh well, if the people that have a lot of money, they are just, you know, they they have these beliefs around people that, with a lot of money that they're going to do evil things with the money, right? So my belief is that if you're a good person and then you have a lot of money, all of a sudden, you're going to keep being that good person that you are and you're going to do good things with it. Mm-hmm. If you're someone that's already has bad intentions and not the best of a, you know, (laughs) (laughs) then you're going to probably take that money and do things that aren't the best of (laughs) for the best interest of others. This might sound strange, but it kind of reminds me of caffeine. You know, caffeine just makes you a more intense version of yourself. And it seems like, Financial abundance, it, it typically just creates a more, it allows you to explore, explore a more expressed version of yourself. You know, it's, it's not really the content, it's more like the volume of, of the radio station being turned up. Yeah. And that's the metaphor <laughs> that I, that resonates with me. So I think you had a, I think you told me a story once, I don't know if you'd like to share that now. One of the friends had a pretty remarkable transformation. Yeah. So actually both of them. Both of them. Okay, cool. (laughs) And so to this day, I know one of my friends is still using the mantra and he, he actually has quadrupled his clientele. (laughs) Four times, four times, ladies and gentlemen, I'm I'm writing this down. I'm not kidding. I'm taking my, my Sharpie pen. Sharpie is not a sponsor. They should be. I got a Sharpie pen, and I'm going to write this down in green, green ink. <laughs> and I'm going to look at it, you know, because if you write it down, it gets into your unconscious mind more, right? It's like a muscle yeah. memory thing. So what happened to, to this first person? So the, so the other friend of mine, he was kind of like in the, helps people with getting loans and things like that, financial um you know, you know, he's big in the financial world. Okay. Is he like a, a loan officer then or a, a mortgage person? Yeah. 
kind of like that. Yeah. And so I just, you know, one day thought, you know what, I'm going to go share this with him and see, you know, and then I didn't hear from him for probably about six months. Like I, and I didn't, you know, like didn't see him, didn't hear from him. And then one day I happened to see him and I was like, Hey, just curious. Did you ever like do keep using that money mantra? And he says, Oh my goodness. He says, yeah, I did. And he says, my, I had more business in this last six months than I did in all last year. Wow. So I was like, wow, okay. So the people that really do it, get You're excited like, I told about you so. it, have gratitude yeah. and, and do it, like actually believe in it, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll see a shift. Why do you feel that the emotional content is so important? I have a guess, but I want to know your thoughts on that. I think it's an energetic thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's like we're putting out this positive energy out into the universe. And it's like when you're like all down in the dumps and you're like, oh, you know, like things just kind of seem to down spiral more and you get more and more down in the dumps. But when you get excited, it's like you attract more of that to you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you're around somebody who's in a positive, upbeat mood, it's kind of hard to be down in a negative mm. down spiral, right? Mm. When you're around somebody like that. because <laughs> So it's kind of like that. You're putting that energy out and so you're attracting more of that into your life. Well, as Abraham Hicks would say, you're becoming a point of attraction. You know, mm, you're always yeah. a point of attraction, but if you're holding a certain thought, that is a point of attraction. You're going to attract what you're thinking about, which we hear that a lot lately, but I don't think most of us really understand the full impact how often that's true. Now, the exact, you know, why does that work? There are a lot of theories on why that works. But even if you look at it from a purely psychological point of view, you know, like it's, you're going to see what you expect to see. There's some, I think that's, there's a cognitive bias. It's a cognitive bias. I forget what it's called. It's like a pattern matching thing. Human beings are very good pattern matchers. So if you can harness that, right, kind of reprogram your own brain, you can get much better results. It's a very left brain way of looking at it, but. (laughs) Yeah. So before that all happened, basically my thought was that I was destined to be in poverty. You thought that? I didn't believe. Yeah, I really did. Because every time I would just get get a little ahead, something would happen to like, you know, make me go back down to poverty again. It's like, oh, I get one step ahead and then two steps back or 10 steps back so so i just thought okay well i'm just destined to be in poverty so after that though boy that changed my whole outlook wow and there was a second person you said who was impacted by this yeah he's the one who his basic clientele basically almost quadrupled (laughs) what was the other one though 
he was a personal trainer. So he ended up getting to like do more of the personal training and the way he wanted to do it and everything. It really shifted his whole his whole business. So they both come back to you and they say, you know, this is completely transformational. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Excited about it. Yeah. So um, And who knows how many people they told. Right. I I that's what I think. I think we just need to um keep spreading it because it would be so wonderful if we could be a world that was believing in prosperity and abundance and doing good with it and keeping that energy flowing. Did you notice out of curiosity, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's a great story. Did you notice any of your habits or actions change when you started? Cause you were doing that mantra every day, right? I yes. think you, you think you said you were doing it multiple times every day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all day. <laughs> That's how you do a mantra. Because, <laughs> like, there's a couple ways. I'm just, you know, everybody is going to experience this differently. But there's a couple ways that can manifest, right? I mean, you could just be, you could look at it as, I am becoming a vibrational match for my desires, which I believe is true. You could also look at it in a more objective sense, right? There's kind of a subjective reality angle and an objective reality. From an objective sense, you be, you could say, well, saying this is changing my mindset, which is leading me to take different actions so different people are crossing my path, mm-hmm. um, right? But then the other side of it is, you know, you might have had people calling you out of the blue, you know, that there might have been a little bit of um, what some people might call magical thinking, but I think sometimes there's mysterious circumstances that it's hard to really narrow it down to one cause. Yeah. I mean, I think that the only way that anybody's ever going to know if this really will work for them is to try it and to really give it, you know, their own effort. Cause yeah. the proof is in the pudding, I guess they say. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the vegan pudding. Yeah. <laughs> Proof is in the vegan pudding. Um, yeah, I mean, it's is that something you have uh, on a vision board or a wall, or do you just kind of? I just have it in memory. <laughs> in memory, yeah. Yeah, so now it's just part of my daily um, thing. And sometimes if I, like, okay, I'm like enough already, like I don't want any more work, then I stop. For a while <laughs> yeah i guess the next step with that would be to make something you can sell you know that's more passive well yeah at this point like now yeah. like i'm not working so much you see so it has actually turned into more of like i have multiple sources of income like the mantra mm-hmm. says so mm-hmm. I don't have to be like having a whole bunch of work come at me, but there's other opportunities that have, that show up to create yeah. residual income so that I don't yeah. have to be working so hard. I get to enjoy life more. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it it definitely works a lot better when we can have multiple sources of income. Yeah. And ones that ones that hopefully don't need too much uh overt attention, you know, kind of, you know, tend to them from time to time. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important this to me all of this chandra goes back to our relationship with work in general. Um you know, do, do you find that you've you've kind of got more specific on the kind of clients you'll take on? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, yes. Because I don't have to put up with um, just taking on any job now. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm very selective if I do decide to take on a job. Yeah. But for the most part, I'm almost at a point where I don't really have to. And so... I'm grateful, grateful for that. And so I think one thing, let's see, I would like to share about. Is, yeah, is there anything you'd like to, to share? I would like to like say something about Bob Proctor because really his, you know, offering that for free. Yeah. And that changed my life. Was that a video course or an audio course? I was curious, like, what that experience was like for you. It was just a 45-minute, like, webinar that he was doing for free. He was trying to get people to come and join, you know, like, his coaching program or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he shared a lot of information in there, and that was one of the really valuable nuggets that I, I ran with. And Yeah. Yeah, so, but, yeah, Bob Proctor actually just passed away on yeah. February 3rd. And he was um, 87. Wow. Yeah. He, yeah, I believe that the day after we chatted about this for the first time, you told me he passed away. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. wild timing. Yeah, I didn't realize that at the time when we were talking about him, that it was just the day before he had passed. And so he he devoted his whole, like, 60-something years of his life were devoted to teaching others the principles of success and wealth. Mm. And he came from a, you know, basically, he has a story of <laughs> coming from poverty as well. And then learning so if people want to google him and learn more about him if they don't know about bob proctor they could maybe get some information yeah he's a really interesting guy i mean full disclosure i have not i've not jumped down the bob proctor rabbit hole yet (laughs) (laughs) but um but what i've seen and heard from him i've appreciated it sort of reminds me of um kind of the napoleon hill if you're familiar with you know think and grow rich it kind of feels like that vibe to me well that's um, what he studied his book for those all those there you years. go that's he well did. that's why <laughs> that's why every day he read that book and that's wow lived his life for 60 years he that's where he he ended up yeah isn't it fun? I did not know that. I'm I'm literally <laughs> surprised, but not surprised because it, it was a vibe thing. When you when you surround yourself, when you're enmeshed with a piece of media, 
could be any piece, but a book is a piece of media, and you absorb those thought forms, you kind of, you, I get it, you get a certain flavor, you know, you can right. pick up, it's almost like, it's almost like if you lived in a temple, you might smell like incense all the time, <laughs> no matter where you went, right? Yeah. It's kind of like you pick up the scent of the thoughts you're around. Yeah. Wow. You know, I remember the end of that book. It's kind of trippy. It gets really interesting toward the end. Yeah, I should read that it's a again. Good book. I know. I want to read it again too. But it's so yeah. If you, it's like basically who you surround yourself with. You know, if you're around successful people, then you're going to pick up those habits and those lifestyle, and you're going to have that mindset to take you to hmm. be successful. But when you hmm. don't have that around you, then you need to kind of like find books or things that are going to help you to learn those things because they don't teach us in school. I mean, we don't, nope. we don't learn these things. It's totally, it's a vibe thing though, you know, and those dominant thoughts, this is why I am such a proponent of meditation every day. Uh, that's why I meditate every morning, because when you do that, when you just focus on the touch of breath on your nostrils, even for 15 minutes, which Abraham Hicks actually got me back into doing that, um, I was like, oh, if I can't do it very long, it's not worth doing. It's like, no, even 15 minutes every morning is a game changer. You create that space and you become aware of thoughts. You become aware of cyclical thoughts when you create that space. Right. And you look at the thought and you you take your focus back to your breath. Yeah. Oh, another thought. Because the the metaphor that you've probably heard before, it, it, but it's so useful to me is, you know, the thoughts are clouds, but your your beingness is the sky. The thoughts are just coming and going. You don't need to get attached to one of them. Mm-hmm. And we all we all do sometimes, but it uh, meditation helps with that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I yeah meditate every day, and that's definitely a big part of my life. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that that you meditated every day. Yeah, right on. Do you end it with a, an affirmation, or do you? Uh, do you think about Bob's mantra during or before or after? <laughs> no, no, that doesn't come in. Um, oh. I do ask for guidance, um, mm-hmm. you know, and if there's any messages that I'm to receive, then I, I say that I'm open to receive them now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes yeah, I get, clear messages during meditation. Hmm. It's another, another, uh, facet of it when you meditate more. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Things can come through. Things can come through. Are there any other, um, books you might recommend? Uh, I, I I did Think and Grow Rich. I did an audiobook of it many years ago, uh, back when I worked for my dad, actually. It's kind of nice, nice way to, I think we were doing like landscaping or something, which is a good opportunity to listen to audiobooks about success. So I, I did that one. I did uh, Sex at Dawn, which is a whole other topic, which is like 
very fascinating studying um, how humans evolved. Um, what other? There were some great. I think I did um, "Lead the Field" by was it Earl Nightingale. That's definitely of a time. I don't know if you've heard of that one. <laughs> Are there any other audiobooks or books that you found resonated with you along this path? So I think like all the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, Robert Kiyosaki books. Kiyosaki. Yeah. He's got a whole slew of them. But he really teaches you how to think differently about money, the money mindset. Um, That's a good recommendation. That'll yeah. go in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, and then also, um, I think the other one's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Carnegie. Oh, is that Covey? Um, Dale, Car- Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm thinking of Seven Habits. That's Covey. Yeah. I think, well, that one's probably a really excellent one, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if people want to embrace their own abundance journey, you know, you, you have so much time and freedom now compared to what you used to. You're not on government support. You're, you're building this house, which I've got to visit. It's beautiful. It's so coming together. Um, and of course, that takes time. It can take years to really change your mindset and to get the habits in. Um, what would you recommend people... Is there anything you'd like them to check out or what What would you recommend to people who want to really embrace that journey? Well, like we already discussed, it was, you know, surround yourself with people that have the mindset or are headed in a direction that you want to go. And if that's not possible, read books or find, you know, free webinars, whatever you can do these days there's a lot of information out there that can help you with personal growth so much and if you're not doing the job that you're passionate about you know that's a big a big thing is like we want to ideally go to get to a place where we're doing what we're living our life doing what we're passionate about and if you can't do that, then do your job that you have with passion. You know, get excited about doing that job, and then eventually you will manifest a better position or a new opportunity through that, that energy, you know, and that excitement. It reminds me of Khalil Gibran. Have you read the book The Prophet by Khalil Gibran? No, I haven't. Uh, it's going to be something I quote incessantly in this show because there's so much wisdom in that small book. And in that book, Khalil Gibran talks about if you if you don't have alignment with your work, I'm paraphrasing, of course, that it's almost like making wine with sour grapes. You sour the whole work if you resent it or don't feel good about it. And exactly. what's the point? Yes. What's the point? Nobody wants to drink sour wine. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're going to a job every day and you're miserable, then you might as well, you know, you're just, you're just making yourself miserable. So you either get excited about 
being there and doing your best that you can do at that job until you elevate to a new job or a new opportunity that brings you farther, which I believe is possible quickly, you know, if your mindset and your energy is shifted. It's hard to predict how fast those shifts can happen when we're really ready. And we really embrace that mindset shift. Exactly. We don't usually know. We're the ones holding ourselves back usually. Even <laughs> yes. if we don't realize it. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like it could be like any second a miracle can happen. And you know, and just mm-hmm. like the next person you meet could be an opportunity that could change your life forever. So mm-hmm. you know, when we're open to receiving those opportunities and we're excited about life and we're just grateful to have a job. So you're just grateful to show up at that job and be of service. Yep. Your your life can shift. Yeah. And that starts, you're talking about gratitude. Yeah. It starts with gratitude. It's almost like there's um, it, it, there's a mindset, um, uh, kind of an audio program I've been going through and talks about there's like a, your relationship with the the simulation, right? If, if reality is a simulation, what is, or even if it's not a simulation, your relationship with reality itself, if you have, if you have the belief that reality has your back, mm-hmm. then you're going to, you're going to attract that situation to yourself. Yeah. You know, if you really believe, well, you know, gratitude is going to create more gratitude. That's what happens. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The more grateful you are, the more you just shift your 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 mindset to It's and, almost it's almost like the universe goes, "Oh, this one appreciates what I'm doing. I'm going to send more." I really think gratitude is a signal to the universe. It's yeah. like a it's some kind of like non-physical signal of like more of this, please. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the terms in which you think about it, but kind of occurs to me right now. <laughs> well, it's kind of like what you focus on um, hmm. magnifies or, mul- hmm. you know, so if you're just on the negative, on the negative, I'm like, oh, this, this sucks, this sucks, you're going to get more and more of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you focus on like how wonderful life is, you're going to get more of that. Hmm. So it's shifting well, the mindset. Shifting the mindset. Did you ever, um, I think I'm going to ha- ask one of my questions now, and I'm going to ask one of my questions in the after show, which is for my Patreon supporters only. That's at patreon.com slash hello Crusoe. And that's a great way to support the show makes it more viable for me to keep doing this long term which is my intention i want to do this show consistently and i want to be of service so what you're saying is a very uh appropriate uh thing to talk about in the first episode (laughs) um did you i'm just curious though did you have you know something like a house on did you have that as an intention for a while or is that something kind of snuck up on you because it's where you are now. It's such a lovely, lovely piece of land on Big Island. You can see the ocean mm-hmm. from in the distance from where you are. Yeah, I've actually done vision boards and um, kind of have all these things written down that I mm-hmm. was looking for. And one of the things was to have a little peak of the ocean to be able to see the ocean and the mountain mm-hmm. and have water on the property. So there is a little piece of a stream that kind of 
when it rains, it, it you know, yeah. gets a nice, gets flowing nicely. And there's little fish pond, little fish in there and stuff that survive when it's not raining for a little bit. <laughs> till the <laughs> That's next actually rain. kind of rare on Big Island as well. Yeah. So I actually got everything that I, I asked for, really, to be wow. able to. Yeah. Uh, and did you write that down pretty I'm guessing you wrote that down pretty regularly? Um I I just had it in a vision board kind of a thing. So like um I would do different vision boards where I collage and then I also write kind of all of the things as if they already happened. Yep. Or they're happening now. Not like I want this, I want that. Because you're going to just keep wanting that. It's like... This is such a good point, Chandra. <laughs> whatever it is that you're trying, you want, that you're manifesting into your life, it's like you write it out as if you already have it or it's on its way. And I've heard that's because you're communicating to your unconscious mind. Abraham Hicks talks about how when you do that you're you're putting yourself in the present moment of receiving this mode of receiving is so important um and so i'm not surprised that you manifested this uh and it's been so fun to see that house coming together over time as well i saw a picture of the closet lately yeah i know i'm so excited about that's that that's exciting yeah it's beautiful chocolate albizia wood Ooh, yeah. Albizia tree native to Africa that is uh, f- likes to hang out on Big Island. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this little... isn't the the weedy one. It's like it's called chocolate albizia. It's not the one that's like that everybody wants to get rid of. It does grow here on the Big Island, but really? it's not as easy to find. Yeah, and the wood mm-hmm. because the wood of those other trees, it's like mm-hmm. rubbish. You can't use it. But yeah. this stuff is beautiful. Um, oh, wow. Is it called chocolate because it's darker? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Albizia gets, I think Albizia trees, they're beautiful. They make a great canopy. You know, they're going down to Puna before the hurricane years ago. There was a whole canopy over over all the roads. It was just gorgeous. You felt like you were in a, you know, just another world, but... The, the thing is, Albizia trees aren't used to the precipitation of Hawaii, so they grow. Isn't it true that they just grow crazy fast because of, there's way more water and sunlight that they're getting than they're used to? They grow so invasive. fast, but they also, the, because the ground is so shallow, they can't deeply right. root themselves. And so in the Not wind, they tip over. They get blown over. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And they break easy. They're very brittle branches. Yeah. Well, you compare that to the native Ohia, who are an incredible, incredible species. The, the Ohia were fine after the hurricane. They were all still standing. Yeah. <laughs> They're all adapted to that wind. It's kind of wild when you think yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, sorry, biology tangent. Um, cho- chocolate o- albizia. I've never heard of chocolate albizia. Wow. Yeah. So you've, you've manifested this, and it's... Um, it's it's another example of the power of vision boards too to get really clear about what you're what you want. Um, did you do pictures or was it just mostly um, 
just writing down lists. You know, different things work for different people. Yeah, I've done a little of both, but mainly I have one board that's all just my words, like, written out in, like, I am the, I am grateful that I am owner of, you know, this house, you know, and... Beautiful house with a view of the top of Mauna Kea and the ocean. Yeah, so however it is, I would write it out, you know... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to normally give people homework, but I'm going to give the listeners homework. <laughs> well, it's up to Here's them a, if they want to give it a try, if they want to test it's it. It's up to them if they if they want to, yeah, if they want to take my homework. Yeah. My homework is um, make a small vision board. Mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and uh very few of them actually give constructive homework. And I've noticed that the audio programs and courses I've taken in my life, Ascendant is not a course. Ascendant is an, is an air quotes experience. Um, no, but seriously, like if I've got to get a little bit of homework, I get more out of it. And if we're going to, if we're going to help transform people's lives, you know, just like you told, uh, Two of your friends, two. Well, you told a lot of your, you told all your friends, as I recall you when you yes. told the full story. <laughs> and some of them were like, "What?" But <laughs> the two that really resonated with it, you know, you gave them. You kind of gave them homework from a certain point of view. You're well, like, just try this, right? Well, I said you got to put the effort in. Yeah, you don't just go. You know, right. like, and my other friends that were like, "Yeah, that didn't work." I was like, "Well, did you give it? Like, did you do it every day? Did you get excited about yeah. it?" They're like. Oh, yeah. no, I didn't. <laughs> so it's like, and okay, that, well. that emotional energy, <laughs> that emotional energy is what powers everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've been thinking, I've been like almost obsessed with the idea of emotional energy powering projects. Hopefully they're not just self-powered. Hopefully there's other people who care about the outcome so you can pool your emotional energy. That works a lot better. But that is the spark. That's what makes these projects go. If you don't care, where's the energy for it? You know? Yeah. That's where vision boards come in. You kind of hone in on where is that spark for you? What does that look like for you? It might not be visual per se, but yeah, I, you don't have to do it every day. Just do it once, but make a little simple vision board. You know, I, I had a vision board on my Mac and I just put photos in a, in a folder and put the folder in my dock and it was just a little, you know, uh, what do they call it? Like a stack. You could just see the photos, pop, mm-hmm. them up, pop them up, put them back in the dock. And just looking at that periodically just reminds you, oh, these are, these are the visions that excite me. I can, I can bring this into my life. It's all just, you know, phenomena happening, mm-hmm. you know? I've heard of stories of people that have done vision boards and then had it stored away in a box and then realized like five years later that, that, that it actually came to be, you know, like, and they had forgotten that they really did the, you know, they, they pulled it out and was like, Oh wow. Oh, look at all this was on my vision board. You know, I've had that too, looking back at old, you know, mostly text documents of lists of things that I was like working on or building or manifesting. And it's a really interesting experience because you, it's usually the ones you forget about. 
right? It's the ones you totally release, have no attachment to the outcome. Why is that, Chandra? Why is it we have no attachment to the outcome? Why is it? Why does it seem like those things happen faster? Something about attachment. <laughs> well, it's yeah. I think that if you're holding on too tightly to or worried about how you're going to make, how are you going to make it happen? Now that that's when. Um, Oh, it's like you're injecting anxiety into it. Yeah, so I I always say like you don't worry about the how. You just decide what it is you want and get excited about that. Mm. And get really clear about the details. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So So it could be Anything from a wildly successful podcast to owning a Tesla to owning your own home to having a relationship partner that you resonate deeply with. It could take many forms. Right. But if you're sitting around going, well, how's that going to happen? And like, what do I need to do to make that happen? It's not about you making it happen. It's about you getting excited about it and to to attract that into your life. So it's, it's like a... And perhaps even getting out of your own way. Exactly. That's probably the biggest. <laughs> that's probably the biggest thing. You're right about that, I think. <laughs> so. Yeah, it feels like that's part of it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I uh, my closing question is pretty non sequitur, pretty divergent, um, but it's a question I'm going to ask all of my guests. Uh, as long as I remember. <laughs> and that is, have you ever had a near-death experience? So I can't say that I've had a near-death experience like maybe you're talking about where you kind of just about like died or come come and come back or you had some visions or some some something like that. I... I can't say that I really personally, there was times when I felt like I was going to (laughs) die, but I can't say I've had any like really transformational experiences around that myself. I did have a partner that I was with him at the end before Mm -hmm. he died. And I think that's relevant. Yeah. And I remember at points he was reaching uh, into the, just out into the space, you know. And I just kind of thought, wow, I think he's seeing things. Maybe it's angels or something, you know. Oh, he was reaching in front of his face, you mean? Up high. He was kind of kept reaching around, trying to grab at something. (laughs) And I was like, well, what are you doing? But he was kind of not really fully coherent anymore. He was starting to go into that space of transitioning. Yeah. And I'm sure that's something that uh, maybe we'll have a chance to talk about another time. Uh, Hopefully when your Wi-Fi is working. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. We can talk about. (laughs) I think we've done pretty well today, considering we've been entirely on the cell network on on Big Island. Um, Is that concept of, uh, 
you know, that the culture around death in America, I have a lot to say about that, actually, how we try to hide it, um, how we try to, uh, you know, Ram Dass talks about this when someone's dying, you know, they're not always, or I think they're better now, but in the past, they wouldn't be honest with that person how much time mm, they had left sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, like, oh, you're doing great. And they go back into the room and they go, well, she won't survive the week. And it's like, this is such a powerful transformation. How, how could they, how could you do that? How could you have so much deception around something that is, Ram Dass says it's like taking off a tight shoe, hmm. passing, train changing form. I, and I, I love that. I guess for me, it's kind of like if they're going to go, um, I don't know. I don't think it's really anybody's place to say when somebody's going to die. So by putting sometimes when doctors say you only have a month to live, right? that can change somebody's mental out mindset to make that a reality. Whereas that's true. Somebody else could shift it and completely have a total miraculous healing. And it's been shown like people have actually gone from stage four, almost dead, yeah. to total cancer-free, total remission. And so I don't think it's for any of us to decide when it's somebody's time. Oh, of course not. I I was just saying in terms of, in terms of um, I think sometimes we, uh, sometimes the medical establishment isn't, totally honest um or i think it's gotten better but in the past i've heard yeah. several i've heard some stories about them not being really honest i i'm not oh I no i think that is about true. that yeah but at the same right with this this is a great example of a situation that has nuance right because i'm you know i i uh, you know <laughs> there's different perspectives on this you know <laughs> and it depends it depends it depends it depends on yeah. the specific situation absolutely <laughs> i'm not making a blanket statement here yeah but i would like to say that being a part of somebody's transition at the end mm. of their life is a gift mm. If you can be there for that part of their life, it is a gift to help them transition. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do something I didn't think I would do, and I don't know if you have Netflix and they should be a sponsor. There's a great show called Midnight Gospel, and it is a podcast that got turned into a cartoon. That's the short version of it. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is, well, it's remarkable because one of the episodes, or 20-minute episodes, they interview a death doula. And it's someone, and she's sort of demystifying and, and bringing a lot of clarity because she just holds space with people when someone, when one of the relatives is dying and, and helps them through that process. And there's all of this you know, mythology around is a dead body unsafe. You know, a lot of people are afraid they are to just be with, be with a body after it's died. Right. And it's, you know, statistically it's actually safer. Uh (laughs) That's what's funny about it. Um, and this is probably, you know, a whole nother topic, but, uh, definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's such a sacred experience. I agree with you completely. It's such a, um, I haven't got to be there right at the moment 
of death, but it is such a sacred experience to be even around that time and around that area. And it doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be, it's, it's all about the meaning we're assigning to it. Yeah, I think you're right. And somehow it was like I was being guided in what to do at the end there. And, Hmm. you know, I was able to be there and have my hand on his chest when he took his last two breaths that were ever so gentle. And I didn't, and it was just like, I mean, yeah, I was, I was upset and shocked, but it wasn't like as upsetting as I thought it was going to be, you know, it was just like, I knew it was his time. And he had to go, and I made peace with it. And that was your former partner, right? Yeah. Yeah, We were together for six years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, what you told me about him, he sounds like a remarkable human, like really (laughs) He was. He was. Yeah. He'd be so proud of you, too. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I think too. I always think like, okay, what would he think about what how I've managed to, you know, pull life together and and restart basically. You know, it was like a restart I had to do. Yeah. Restart. Restart. Well, is there anything you'd like to leave our guests with before we go into uh Patreon after show? Thank you so much for being on, by the way. This has yeah, been you're welcome. This has gone in some really lovely directions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really excited that I got to be here today. And I really do encourage people to mm-hmm. give it a try, you know, just start with start with the mantra. Get excited about it. And hopefully I'm so maybe happy somebody and will grateful. Gi- Yeah. Hopefully somebody will give you feedback, you know, about it when they after they've tried it. It would be exciting to actually see if some people actually come back with some results. Well, this is another reason why I felt so in alignment. You know, I have a few episodes in the can that are like going to be backup episodes for when I have to take a week off. But this is why I felt so in alignment with having you on for, well, there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to have you on first, but one of them was that I feel like this mantra is a really, really appropriate way to start. It just feels like, you know, it feels like just the right, energy, the right, um, intention, the intentionality of this is so important. You know, this show is not about me. I'm just a facilitator. You know, I wanted to create space for people to share their abundance journeys and life lessons. This show is about exploring the nature of reality and realizing that the nature of the universe is abundant. I really believe that. I mean, just not even just, not even just from Hubble space telescope pictures, (laughs) but from like a gut feeling of abundance, you know? Yeah. And there's enough for everybody in the world. There is an abundance for everyone. So yes, we are. Yes, 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 yes. Well, Mahalo, um, do you, I, I mean, I, I don't know if you really use social media, but you, we can plug anything you want to plug, or we can just say aloha and do our little after show. Okay. Um, nope, I'm good with with any of that. I don't need any... Uh... Your, your business doesn't have a social media yet? Um, you don't need that. You don't no. need that on Big Island. It's all word of mouth on Big Island anyway. Yeah, I'm good. Like I don't. I'm. I'm not at a need for 
any additional like <laughs> gosh i wish I, I wish i could get away with that uh. <laughs> social media so uh, well thank you so much for coming on chandra i've really appreciated this time um and once again uh if he, anybody wants to check out the after show i'm going to do an after show for every single one of these interviews and that's at patreon p-a-t-r-e o-n.com slash hello c-r-u-s-o-e hello crusoe and it's a great way to support you think i think the first tier is only three dollars a month and you get no first tier is uh five dollars actually and you get um i think we're gonna shoot for about three after shows a month and they're going to be a varying length and they're going to be a little more edgy, a little more wacky and really, really fun. And, um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And once again, I'm Andrew Crusoe. I write, and if you don't know who I am, which I should have introduced myself at the top of this thing, but it's not about me really. I write tropical sci-fi and action memoir, all inspired by the Hawaiian islands. You can Google me. It's fun to Google me. Um, and get free books and all kinds of things. Okay. Wow. This has been such a wonderful journey, Chandra. Thank you so much once again. And, um, yeah, we're going to, well, we'll have you back on sometime and, and all see, right, how, thank you. see how it's going. As we say on Big Island and all the islands, thank you very much or mahalo nui loa. <laughs> <laughs> mahalo nui loa.